John chapter 13 as today we cover this amazing chapter. There's so much here. And we're going to see that what the daughter of Michael Peretti was just saying, Bella was saying, was basically, you know, find out what, what God has for you. There's a priority of family, but not just family. There's also the calling. There's also the ministry. There's the gifts. There's the talents. There's the opportunities that God is going to give to us. And her, her father lived both uh, with, a, with a passion. And she was saying, so if, you know, if you're one of those and you're all career-oriented, you're all career-oriented and you neglect your family, that, that's not how we, we live. But some people are on the flip side where it's just you know, the, the people or family and there's no discovery of the, the calling and the ministry that God gives to us. And so first God, then my family, then ministry, that's life. And in one sense, I, I like the way her dad said it, that's how you get alive. Not just living for myself, because if I just do what I want to do, what makes me happy, if that's really how I'm led in life, then I'm lost. The way that we're led is we talk to God. Say, God, what do you want me to do? You know, I'm definitely not the best example, but I know that for, for sure. But I will say that there were the things that happened in my life that God used uh, to, I don't know, to test my love, maybe. You know, when I, when I got saved, I took school seriously, started, you know, going and, and finishing everything up at JC. I was there as a junior in Cal Poly, and I had these plans, you know, with my degree. But then, you know, one day, uh, Jesse Barella, of all people, the individual that recently passed away, he came up to me one Sunday night, and he asked me if I wanted to teach in the Bible college. Now, understand, it's not something that you get paid to do. It was just something that you get the opportunity to do. And, and I would never, ever counsel anyone to do what I did. But, but I sense God tell me, drop out of school and, and put your heart into this opportunity you have to teach the Bible at, at the Bible college. Now, in one sense, that was like a test of, of Love, I think, on my part, you know, for, for God. And, you know, I don't know how it's going to work for you. Uh, Chuck Smith was on his way to become a doctor. Next thing you know, he's 17 years old at a youth camp. And God told him, no, I want you to be a pastor. And I thank God that he did because, wow, look at what God has done through Calvary Chapels. Now, does that mean that everybody's supposed to be a pastor, a missionary, or things in the church? Absolutely not. All I'm trying to say is that we can't just live our life like this is what I want to do, and I'm going to do it. No, it has to be, God, you tell me. I'll never forget, there was one time, because I, I had a, a decent job, and I, benefits, man, were amazing. The benefits were amazing. But I'll never forget, there was a, a, I remember, I still can visualize myself. For some reason, I was under the desk. I was praying on my knees. And it was then that God said, I want you to quit your job. And I want you to enter into the ministry. And I don't know, it didn't make any sense to anybody, you know, because you take that 40% pay cut and you lose all your benefits. But, but that's what God led me to do. And all of you here will have similar stories. There might be a relationship 
that he might ask you to leave and he's testing your love. There might be different decisions in life. I don't know how it's going to work, but in one sense, this is what Jesus did. Now, I don't think he necessarily was on the wrong track. He, he wasn't, and then he got on track, but his whole life was just summarized in, Father, what do you want me to do? I won't think, I won't say, I won't go, I won't do anything apart from what you want. And what that was, was an expression, was the manifestation of his love for his father and his love for us. And we see that vividly in John chapter 13. A lot here, a few things that kind of stood out to me. I want to show you guys a little outline. We're going to see how Jesus shows his love, uh, number one, by his service of washing feet. And I think we have a graphic for that. I'm not 100% sure, but... The first thing is by his service of washing feet. And so we're going to see that, and I know you guys know the story on that. And then secondly, his sketch of forgiveness. And we're going to see how even washing feet, it, it, it not only displays his love and his servanthood, but also we're going to see it sends a, a message of the way that he forgives. This is how he shows his love, washing feet, forgiving our sins. Number three, just the way he speaks. He speaks the facts, and we're going to listen to some of the things that he shares today. Uh, he's informing us. He's commanding us. He's prophesying things. He's going to tell the future only because he wants us to believe. We're going to see that as we go through, and he's reaching out, you know, I believe to us. He was reaching out to Judas, and then we'll see at the end that he shows his love by his sacrificial finish. Something we kind of read about here in verse 1. Look what it says. It says, now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Notice how it describes his death. It was simply a departure. You know, those of you whose loved ones have passed away in Christ, you know, that's so comforting to know that they're, they're not, their life has not ended. They're in heaven. They've departed. Here Jesus says, I'm going to go, and, and the hour has come for me to depart and to be with the Father. So that's a beautiful truth, and one day we'll be there, yesterday funeral, thinking of Jesse Barella. I mean, just this man that was used so tremendously in my life. It's hard to believe you know, that he's gone. I, I'll tell you guys this. When Shelly and I were younger and our kids were small, you know, something that goes into your mind, you're like, who's going to take care of my kids? If something were to happen to Shelly and I and we were to die, let's just say in a car accident or something, what, what, what would happen to our children? And, and the Lord laid it, impressed it upon our heart. Jesse and Linda, we're going to ask them to be the ones to take care of our kids. That's how special this man was. Not once did he misrepresent Christ. Not once. Not, not that I ever saw. Humble and yet brilliant. I mean, just so, he was a theologian. I mean, and yeah, I could tell you stories, and if you get a chance, I do encourage you, maybe you can watch the, the funeral service. Uh, so many things about him, you know? And what we find is, Lord, it's hard to accept. It's hard to accept that he's not here. Some of you have loved ones. It's hard 
to accept that they're not here. But when they pass in Christ, you just know, but they're in heaven. So I miss him, but he does not miss me <laughs> because he is in glory. You know, for us as Christians, this is the closest to hell we'll ever, we'll ever have. So understand that Jesus here, talking about death, he describes it as a departure. He, he, this is the context here of everything that he's, gonna about, he's about to do. He, he loved them to the end. To, one version says to the uttermost. Um, some would say to the guttermost. I mean, just basically, he loved them. We're going to see basically it symbolizes the fact that, you know, he loved them to the point of dying for them on the cross. This is the backdrop to all this. It says in verse 2, And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garment or his, his robe, took a towel and girded himself. And, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Now, John, he goes... He goes to great lengths to describe the setting. And there, there's a lot of different emotions, huh? When you think about the description here, you know, he's about to die. How, how would you feel if you were about to die tomorrow? Because he was going to die the next day. And it wasn't just a death. It would be a suffering beyond measure. You know, and, and you know, and, and that's one thing. And then another thing is like, I know who I am. I came from, from heaven. I'm God. I'm going to go back to heaven and the Father's given me everything. Like, I'm definitely top gun, you know. And then that's another thing to think about, emotion or whatever. And then, uh, and then just to think that this guy, one of, my, one of my boys, one of my 12 trusted men was about to betray me to the point because he wanted me dead. Dead. It wasn't just, hey, I'm going to take over the church type of thing. No, I want that guy dead. Imagine all these different emotions. But, but here we see the Lord in this backdrop. What does he do? He rises from supper and he goes and he washes their feet. Now you have to understand, I mean, there, there was no like ambiguity in this. There was no like, hey, I'll do it. Hi, I'll do it. It wasn't like that back then. It was the lowest guy, this lowest slave. It was automatically his job to wash feet. Everybody knew that. But here they are, they're at dinner, because notice it says after supper, and they didn't have tables like we do. Because like, so when we eat, and let's just say you're, you know, you're eating with us and your feet are, are really dirty or something, you know, and they got toe jam and stuff. We won't see it. We won't see it because it's under the table. But in those days, they were reclining at the tables, and you're going to see everybody's feet. And so I'll bet you almost anything, the Lord was telling all the guys, all these leaders, hey, you should wash your feet. Somebody's got to do it. No, I ain't going to do it. As a matter of fact, you'll see, and it's crazy, when you harmonize the Gospels, they're fighting before this as to who's the greatest. I'm going to be the greatest. And they fought after this. Who's going to be the greatest? It's crazy the way that we are sometimes. But here the Lord, he gets up, and what does he do? He, he washes their feet. And you know what? This is a beautiful picture of love. 
You know, for Jesus, it wasn't just a job to do. Oh, I'm going to go and get nailed to a cross and finish. No, it was just so deep, infinitely more. It was a mission. It was a mission of love. You know, how was he going to do this? He would die on the cross, the humiliating death. It, it was this picture in which Jesus comes and, and he begins to wash their feet. And, and I will say this, that when we go through the scriptures here, Number one, I pray you would see how much he loves you. You. And I know sometimes that's hard to accept because I'm sure you guys are like me. I just don't feel worthy. I've failed the Lord too many times. I'm a pastor. People pray for me. And I fail the Lord. I'm sure he's kind of like, he doesn't love me, you know? I mean, he, and so we, we grapple with these things. Listen, I just pray you would know that, and, and then that would begin to stir you up. That's what changes us. That's what helps us to grow, the love of God when it reaches our heart. We're going to see more of this as we go through, but here the Lord, he, he loves them, and he's serving them, and you know, the, of course, washing the feet, it was a practical thing, but it was symbolic of dying on a cross. Because Isaiah 52, verse 13, it calls him, my servant. My servant would die. You go on and you read Isaiah 52, 13, all the way through 53, 12. It's all about the suffering servant. And so here it is, as he's washing feet. Look at verse 6, and then he came to Simon Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, what's up? What are you trying? What are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And basically what he's telling Peter is just let me do this. And uh, and you don't have to understand everything. Just let it be. But what does Peter do? He's like, no, absolutely not. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And then Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and head. And Jesus said to him, he was bathed and he's only to wash his feet, but it's completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. And I love Peter. Um, I love the fact that he... I don't know, he's impetuous, he's, he's, he, he's willing to make a mistake, you guys. Listen, a lot of times people don't move. They're not paralyzed. Nothing happens. Why? All because they're not, they just, they don't, I don't want to make a mistake. Now, again, don't take it lightly. I'm not saying that we should be, you know, rambunctious and flippant in our decisions, but, you know, um, we have to be a little bit like this. Peter was a leader. He would learn from his mistakes. Here's one of them right here. And the Lord takes this. And then what does the Lord do? He communicates to us things that we need to learn. You know, like washing the feet, it would be a practical thing. It would be something that they need. It'd be an expression of servanthood. We're going to see in just a minute that that's what he wants us to do for everyone else. But also there is a doctrinal thing here in which the Lord says, hey, if you're already clean, then you don't need me to wash your head and hands and the rest of your body. You're already clean. It's just your feet that need to be washed. And what the Lord is, is, this, is communicating to us in that is that the moment you place your faith in Jesus Christ, 
You're forgiven. You're clean. You are. You are. We have to understand the power and the purity of the gospel. That the moment you place your faith in Christ, that you are clean. That when God looks at you, he sees no sin. That's what he's saying. You're already clean. You're already clean. But here's the thing that happens. As Christians, we walk through life and our feet, they get dirty, so to speak. You know, in those days, they didn't have the shoes like we have. In those days, they had the sandals or chanclas or whatever it might be. And so you're going through and you got to remember the roads were not paved the way that ours are. And so, yeah, they get dirty. And so, you know, there was that practical aspect of washing feet. And when we go through life, any of you guys here ever sin? I'm just curious. Lord, and again, I'm not taking this lightly, but I am just telling you, that I am a wretched man. I am. And I can't, that wretched man who I am, that sin nature that I have, it'll always be there. Now, I try to walk in the Spirit. I try to mortify my flesh, but there's no alteration of the flesh. The ugly man that I am, he will always be there until I'm in glory. So guess what? I'm going to sin. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to say things that I shouldn't have said. I'm going to think things that I shouldn't have said. I'm going to look at things that I shouldn't look at sometimes. I try not to, but, but, I, but I do. And when you're living life, I'll tell you what, those failures, they take their toll. But here's the thing. Here's what we have to do, you guys. You have to know, number one, that I'm forgiven. You got you to know that, that positionally you are clean. But then here's what you have to do practically is you go to the Lord and you just ask him for forgiveness. First John 1 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Homo logeo, say the same thing. That's a sin. I'm sorry, Lord. You try your best because if you hold on to the sin, if you don't let go of it, if you don't confess it and forsake it, then that's going to come between you and the Lord. And the Bible says that if I harbor iniquity in my heart, he won't hear my prayers. So that's where this whole thing about, okay, you're clean, um, but your feet need to be cleansed. For us, we're positionally clean, but practically. And that's why every time I wake up in the morning, the very first thing I do, and I got to tell you this, because you might think, well, Manny, when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you do is you pray for Shelly, right? I don't. I'm sorry, babe. I don't. <laughs> The first thing I do, the very first thing I do is I get on my knees and I ask God for forgiveness. And my favorite prayer is, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Because I remember the Lord said, that man went home justified. You know, the Pharisee who went, you know, know, thank God I'm not like other people. The Lord said, he's in big trouble. So every morning I wake up and I try to remember the things that I've done. And it even happens throughout the day. You, know, you ask for forgiveness. And what happens? The Lord right here, he washes our feet. And it, as a matter of fact, to me, I even think about it this way. I'm like, man, Lord, you are so humble. God is so humble that he washes my feet constantly. Constantly. That's what, we, that's what this is right here. 
it's a picture of the way that we are positionally clean and, and then practically clean. And so the Lord said, hey, you don't need Peter, you don't need me to give you a bath. You're already clean, but not all of you. There was one that, that wasn't clean, and that was, it was Judas. But the Lord here wants to give this lesson in verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. You know, there is an order, there is a structure. You have the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You know, there's still the rank, so to speak. Jesus is still teacher and Lord, right? But it doesn't mean that if you're a leader that you can't empty their trash. It doesn't mean that if you're a leader, you know, you can't wash their feet or whatever it is that, you know, you think, well, I'm above that. No, that's the way the world thinks. Jesus talks about that in Mark chapter 10. The world has that mentality that once you get the position, once you get the title, then you got the title now so that people can serve you. But no, it's inverted in the kingdom of God. I give you the, 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 the whatever, the, the power, the title, the responsibility, not so that you can be served, but so that now you can serve others. And that's why when you, know, you, you know, learn that in the church, you know, you just find that, you know, I'm going to be praying for them, you know, late at night or early in the morning, and I'm going to be doing different things. And usually for a pastor, you're usually there, you know, you make yourself available, but you're usually there for those who are going through hard times, and that's your life. And so right here we see the Lord says, I've given you an example. You should do as I have done to you. He says in verse 16, Most assuredly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I mean, if we all get that servant's heart, it doesn't matter what I do. As a pastor, I've gone. I remember I told you guys I went to uh, Mexico on a missions trip, Vizcaino. It was a long journey. It took us, I think, 10 hours to get there. You know, and I'm like, you know, a pastor or whatever. And you're thinking, oh, I'm, you, you get to teach? No. I had the whole weekend. My job was to empty the trash. I'm not, I'm not joking. It was flies everywhere, trash everywhere. Oh, okay, you, will you empty the trash? And so, um, you know, there, uh, there's a pride. I'll, I'll be the first to admit, like, what? I mean, the least you could have me do is grill or something i don't know <laughs> but you know what the lord it was not them who told me to do that it was god it was god because god was testing me and i did it and i'm telling you guys now i did it thank you jesus that i get to do this for these beautiful beautiful people another time i remember we took a group and we went to las vegas there was a, a, a um like a crusade over there and and you know um the whosoever's and we got it you know there and got to the stadium and you know 
They, they said, okay, well, your, your, your assignment is whatever, section Z27 or something like that. And so I went up there and Z27, and you know, I was supposed to usher and take care of this section in the stadium. There was nobody there. And so you, you know, you feel a little like small, and then the Lord just says, I just want you to pray. Pray. It doesn't matter what we do as long as we know who we're doing it for. That's why there's no such thing as a small church. That's why there's no such thing as an insignificant task because of the fact that we are doing this for Christ. Don't get the mentality of the world. The Lord says, I'm I'm teaching you this. I'm, I'm showing you this. And if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. See, it doesn't even matter if we know them. It doesn't even matter if you teach them. What matters is if you do them. And I know even at home, huh, guys, sometimes the Lord will test us. Are we going to do, you know, scrub the toilets at home? Will you do the insignificant things? This is the heart that God wants us to have. And this is what he's showing us here in John 13. But as he's sharing with these guys that he's pouring into, because he's about to die, he's about to leave, and he's pouring into them because they're the next generation. He says in verse 18, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. And so remember we talked about how the Lord's loving them through whatever, washing their feet. He's loving them, you know, in in different ways, right? Here he's loving them and and speaking to them and telling them things, whether it be instruction or in this case, it's prophecy. He's telling them things that are going to happen in the future. And he quotes from Psalm 41.9, how the Bible had predicted the fact that Judas would betray Jesus. It says there that he's lifted up his heel. And it's not just, oh, I'm looking at my heel. It's like I'm lifting it up and boom, I'm kicking like a horse. The, the Bible described, it prophesied the fact that Judas would betray Jesus. And um, you wonder, well, why is the Lord telling them this? What's the real reason? Is he just wanted to dazzle them with his ability to prophesy regarding the future? No, it's love. The reason he's telling them about Judas who would betray them is because it says right there that you may believe that I am he. You know, if I told you guys, you know, prophecies, you know, for thousands of years, you know, and they all came to pass, then what would happen is you would believe the prophecies that I'm telling you about the future. That's God's track record. You know, for us, we know there are hundreds of prophecies regarding Christ. Uh, they've all come to, tr- to, to pass, and so we know the prophecies regarding his future. They'll come to pass. I, I think of even of... You know, things that are obvious to us, things that we've talked about before, but I want to mention to you, maybe even considering the prophecy of Israel, the Bible says in Ezekiel 36 and 37 that in the last of the last days, Israel would become a nation again. And we are witnesses of that. In our generation, in 1948, they became a nation again after 2,000 years of not being a nation. That's never happened in the history of the world. But the Bible said that one day that would happen. 1948, they became a nation again because God prophesied that it would happen. 
I mean, you know, when you look at Ezekiel 36 and 37, then it says in 38 that Russia will invade Israel. So I'm looking at my Bible, I'm thinking, wow, the Lord has got a perfect, impeccable track record of predicting the future. And now as he's saying Russia's going to invade Israel, and I see what's going on in the world today, I mean, do you think that they might have the, the galls to, to do it? I mean, this guy Putin, I don't know what is going on. They got jets, they got fighter jets 250 miles right there away from Israel. Israel's got oil. The whole world right now is wondering what Russia's going to do next, right? And so um, the Bible says in Ezekiel 38 that when that happens, when Russia invades Israel, it will be a one-day war, one day, because God will defeat Russia. And it was during that time, it's during that time, guess what's going to happen to us? That we will be raptured. Now, we don't know if it's going to happen before the invasion or during that invasion, but it's all right there, right around the same time. And so the Lord says, I'm telling you these prophecies, that way you can see how how." I'll, accurate I am, and that way you can believe me for the future. You know, when Jesse Barella was passing away, and he was passing away with a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit that is just so amazing. And I hope that I die that way, or maybe I'll get raptured, but if I am there, I pray that I would be sensitive. But I do know this, that Jesse was telling his sister to tell the church that Jesus is coming soon. We have to be ready. You know, this is why he's saying these things. I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. And so that could be a reference to the fact that he's God, that he's Messiah, that he's the one he claims to be. He wants us to believe. Do you believe today? Do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? And I'm not talking about in your brain. I'm talking about in your heart. Because he loves you. He wants you to believe. Because as you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. When you die or we get raptured, you'll go to heaven. He loves you. That's why he wants you to believe. You know, the word love is found 57 times in the book of John. The word believe is found 101 times in the book of John. I pray that we would have that kind of trust. You know, as a matter of fact, John chapter 20 and verse 31, it says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. I remember the day that I got saved. I went forward to an altar call and the God of the universe came into my life. That's what he wants to do for you if you have not yet responded. You know, it's kind of like the Lord, you know, and this is a different illustration, but he says, will you marry me? Will you marry me? And you can either say yes or no, right? There's kind of like nothing in between. Have you said yes? Do you believe that Jesus died for you? They put him in a grave, he rose again. And then by placing your faith in him, you'll be saved. Turn from your sins and trust in him. This is why he's sharing these things. In verse 20, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me 
receives him who sent me. Let's just say you went to a Billy Graham crusade back in the day, and you're like, hey, I like what he said. Well, it's not really Billy Graham. It's Jesus who sent Billy Graham, and it's the Father who sent Jesus. So this is how it works. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit, and he testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples, they looked and stared at one another. They were perplexed and mystified about whom he spoke. Who is it that would do it? Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. And I've always, man, appreciated that passage right there. Can you guys visualize the scene for a second? If you can, try to go into that you know, upper room, that last supper. And Jesus says, one of you guys is going to betray me. And so they're looking at each other. They're like, hey, who is it? Who is it? And so, you know, um, John is there. He's leaning on Jesus, you know, chest or whatever. Um, and, 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 and John describes himself as the one whom Jesus loved. And I believe that the, probably the closest person to John, to Jesus, was John. I, I just have that hunch because... When you read the Gospels, remember who was it out of all the apostles that was there at the cross? It was John. And who did Jesus say, you know, hey, you take care of my mom? It, it was John. And you wonder, well, the, well, why was John privileged to be so close? Was it because Jesus had a favorite? You want to know why John was so close to him? Is because he appropriated God's love for him. Hey, I'm the one that Jesus loves. I mean, you guys are cool and everything, but I just want you to know I'm the one that Jesus loves. Dude, you got, can, you, can, you, can you dig that? Can you get into that? You can do that. Uh, I like what Danny Bond said. He said, God loves you as if you were the only one to love. Think about that. So John was close. He was tight because he described himself as the one that Jesus loved. And so Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. And then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. So this is something they had going on between them. In those days at Eastern Mills, it was customary for the host to offer one of the guests a morsel of bread as a gesture of special friendship. And so by this, Jesus was showing his love for Judas, the one who would betray him. And I have a hunch that it was kind of like his last, like, hey, I love you, man. I love you. What are you going to do with this? And Judas took it, you know, he just grubbed. I don't care. I don't care that you love me. You know, I wanted you to, to do things my way. You know, I hate this Roman government. And our, our Messiah, when he comes, he's supposed to set up his kingdom now. Now. And so he was disillusioned. And a lot of times that's what happens to people. They get upset with God. And, you know, well, I got this plan and I got a better plan. And I don't like the way things are turning out. And, you, you know, next thing you know, you're opening up your heart to who? To Satan. And God is extending his love. You know, I pray that we would see that because look what happens. It says in verse 27, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Oh, man. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. 
But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him, for some thought that because Jesus had the money box that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately. And it was night. And that's not a coincidence. You know, Judas, no one would have ever thought it would be Judas. Even we as a church, like our most trusted men, our most trusted men are going to be the men that count the money, the men that do administration. You would never, they would have never thought it could be Judas. But unfortunately, he allowed Satan to get a hold of his heart. So the Lord says in verse 31, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, then God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. I mean, that's how the Lord saw crucifixion. That's how the Lord saw death. In my death, I'm going to glorify my Father. I, I, I do... You know, again, going back to, you know, Pastor Jesse Barella from Carrie Chapel Golden Springs and going to his funeral service and just seeing the way that he died. I mean, just glorified God. You know, there, there, were, uh, there was a testimony of his brother that went to go visit him in the hospital. And he told Jesse, he said, you're going to get better. You're going to get better. And Jesse was kind of like not, you know, full strength. You're going to get better. You're going to go back and do your hobbies. Because Jesse liked to do paintings and different things. He would paint these little uh, military uh, uh, figures and just a lot of things that he liked to do. But, but, but Jesse, he just waved him off like this. And his brother's like, oh, what? You know, what's the, just get better so you can go and do your hobbies. And Jesse there that the, at his deathbed, he just said, only one life. Soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Right there, shining. And as, as you glorify God in your life, and then one day, I believe it's going to happen somehow, in your death. And it's a beautiful thing is God sees that and God will reward you for that. That's the same principle we see with Jesus. He says in verse 33, Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. You know, and it's, I'm leaving and he's talking about things in John chapter 13 all the way through 17, things that are going to be important, the Holy Spirit, different things. But man, he does emphasize love. And he says, what you're going to need to do is to love each other the way that I have loved you. In that sense, it was a new commandment because Jesus had demonstrated his love for them. And he said, by this, everyone will know you're my disciples. And so for us, typically we think that I know he's a Christian because he goes to church. I know she's a Christian because she has a Christian t-shirt. I know they're a Christian because they say they're a Christian. I know he's a Christian because he's a pastor. It doesn't work that way. The, the way that people will know and the way that we prove our salvation is by loving people you guys know that right you know that 
that, you know, if you go to McDonald's, it doesn't make you a Big Mac. You guys know that, right? I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the fact that you guys come to church. Please come, come, keep coming to church service. But just because God would speak through a person, just because an individual is a pastor, I know, I know, I know that God can speak through a donkey. I know that. I don't prove that I'm saved because I know Bible passages or because I memorize them or because I do good things. You know, a good deed here, 1 Corinthians 13 says, you speak with the tongues of angels and you sell your stuff and you give to the poor, your body's burned, whatever, you move mountains. That doesn't prove it. What proves it? Love. So here's the thing that I just want to share with you guys real quick and then I'm going to speed through the rest of the verses. That you're going to stand before God one day, okay? And, and you can't say that you weren't warned. You know, it's not just going to church. It's not just serving. Jesus said, by this all will know you're my disciples if you have this love for one another. So Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me or disowned me three times. And again, the Lord is saying the future, you know. And again, I think Peter kind of pushed him because he was being overconfident, and there's a lot of lessons there. But, I, but let me just close with this. So you have, you know, what Jesus did, just so amazing. You have Jesus, just the epitome of humility. You have Judas, the epitome of hypocrisy. But what about Peter? Peter did go on to deny the Lord, right? But you know what? He returned to the Lord and God restored him in such an amazing way that you guys know, huh? Peter was, he was the one that God used on the day of Pentecost. He became this great leader in the church. And if you're here today and maybe you've blown it, maybe you failed, maybe you sinned, I pray you'd be encouraged by that. Let's just, let's just come back to the Lord, man. Let's come back. And, and if we do, like the prodigal son, when he came back to the Father, the Father ran to him. That's what God wants to do for us.